<laughs> Kevin just put a message to us that says, I'm wondering as a listener what this podcast is. I wonder if someone will tell me. <laughs> no. <laughs> You're just going to have to figure it out on your own. Yeah. Look at your phone. What are you listening to? Look at the beginning. You're the one that clicked on this. <laughs> This is where the party ends. I can't stand here listening to you and your racist friend. I know politics for you, but I feel like a hypocrite talking to you and your racist friend. You're listening to My Racist Friend, a podcast about the messy parts of relationships that help us grow together. I'm Amy McKees. And I'm Don Griffin, Jr. Yeah, we did that. Yeah, I like that. Now you um, know. Patriotism. Pa- pa- patriarchy. You got me going there, too. Patriarchy. I'm not called on to define it very often, but I think of it as the structures in place that exist to protect and lift up white men as the leaders slash patriarchs or fathers and so i think that there are groups of men who think it's a a benevolent kindness it's still men being the boss having access to the power deciding when they're going to share the power and when they're not going to share the power and always reserving the right to pull it back if they change their minds And, and it's one of those things that once, but that sometimes people need someone to point it out to them. Like sometimes people take a, a gender studies class and then suddenly they're like, oh my gosh, sexism exists. <laughs> or they meet someone who's active and learn that way. Or they are around when Me Too happens and they're like, wait a minute, this happens all over the place? Like for me, one of the things that, sh- that has shifted over the last I don't know, five, 10 years has been rather than just sort of accepting it, there's been like this glimmer of hope that it doesn't have to stay this way. Like I I was pretty sure that it was just gonna, that this is where we would live. You know, that there are things that that don't get helped. There are things that, you know, like it, it would always be that if you work in a restaurant, someone's gonna grab your butt because that's what they do. And because our society is built on it, on the patriarchy and on white supremacy. So while I'm saying this, I'm seeing how these things are so tightly woven into each other. They're like a madras. Remember those madras shirts that like when you would wash, you would want to wash them so that they sort of faded into each other in the eighties? <laughs> no. I don't know. <laughs> I was gonna say yes. It was but, super uh, white. Um, like with a golfing shirt, like a, a Kelly green golfing shirt and then madras shorts you might wear. Anyway, the patriarchy and white supremacy are woven together like a madras plaid. What has happened is I've started thinking, oh, we're going to start fighting back. Like, this isn't going to be here forever. And that feels really good. And in doing that, I'm watching, 
like lots of parts of myself of things that I had just sort of decided I wasn't going to complain about anymore are rising up that I'm like, oh, actually, I don't like that. And this is happening in humor, like where there are things that I would have laughed along with, like I would have had some satisfaction from the hero saying at just the right moment, like you throw like a girl or you punch like a girl or if, if it was said just right, because, because I grew up in this too. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute, this, this movie that I always thought was funny, it turns out it's not, it's not funny. For, I've been noticing a lot because we've been watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer, okay. right? And yeah. at its core, it's about a woman who is pushing against all of the patriarchal expectations. Even so, there are still jokes sort of sprinkled throughout it that make fun of men based on their physical prowess. Like if they aren't macho enough, still, and, and I laugh, I, or at least I, I did laugh. One of the characters even talked to another character about, described him as being whipped by his girlfriend. Being whipped means you're, being, you're controlled by that other person. Yes. But you mean the term whipped like as like you're a slave to that person, you mean? Are you saying it in that way? No, I'm saying, saying it in, I just didn't want to say the whole phrase on our show. Oh, yeah, I but, forgot. It's got a full name. <laughs> I haven't said the other part in so long. Okay, whoa, I um, forgot about that. Because now people just say, oh, you're whipped. And they use it for male or woman. They don't you they don't because they don't remember the root of that term i mean it's still a misogynist term it still like lives right and parties with cuckold and all of the men's rights stuff like that all goes together it's a very tame commonly used phrase okay um i have ne- i have never heard it said in a way that celebrates a relationship or doesn't imply that a woman is taking something she shouldn't take. I hadn't thought of that. But I, have you have you heard women say that they're whipped? By a man? No, I have never. I've literally never heard a woman say that. Okay. Well, maybe I haven't either. I don't know. <laughs> okay. If you do, though, I... you write it down and you call me and no, I no, 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 no. apologize. We're, 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 getting, yeah, <laughs> we're getting in the weeds. Uh, so things like that and what i'm noticing is that i'm like really slowly i'm like oh wait a minute that's not funny that i i laugh because i want to be a part of it and i want to be power adjacent so even though i know that it's at my own expense i chuckle at these jokes like well if you didn't fight like such a sissy i i don't want to one of our favorite singers does this thing for people who support him on his Patreon and you can listen to him. And it's, it's, I love it because it's like um, watching him just fart around on his different music toys and sing songs that I love. I get to, and I dance with my youngest as we watch it and, and our youngest like, participates in the Facebook or the YouTube conversation about it and is like telling us the comments on it and trying to get him to read one of her, one of their comments too. It never happens, but one can dream. 
so it's it's fun it's a connecting thing that we do that's become sort of a thing during this pandemic so we were doing that and uh, we we're waiting for a good bop to come on because we really wanted to do some fancy dancing and he does this he just sort of patterns in between songs and he introduces the last song and he says i wrote this song in the 90s because back then i used to date a lot of whores in my mind at that moment he realized that was a dumb thing to say i don't know what his thinking was because he went from that to then saying i mean not prostitutes prostitutes are awesome i mean whores and then proceeds to sing the song but i didn't really hear it because i was reeling and there's a part of me that wants to be like look all of these old people who watch PBS cuz that's how we found him are patreons here and are pretending that they're sort of young again but they're not commenting on YouTube and watching this guy sing his songs with curse words in them and we're all cool i want to be cool i don't want to i i want to be just as edgy as the next fan but that's ter i mean he said in in one sentence he said i used to date i used to date a lot of horse <laughs> like it's it's okay for him to date a lot and to you know have sex a lot yet the women that happen to be just like him are whores what an asshole yeah. sorry right so i i and that like i didn't i didn't sleep well which also really pisses me off like i don't want to lose sleep over some dude being an idiot who was um, it is bob it? schneider and i love him he gave Looks me gum in the the place where we live right now like where all of my family is and they're thinking and where i am in my evolution i could say that really sucked i could say again the next day that really sucked and know that i was heard and and not be you know accused of being too sensitive I'm sure that is something that say if I had tried to talk to my dad about it he would have been like well what are we, what do you want me to call them <laughs> like I don't know like prostitutes or loose women like like and and it would have been still about like me my feelings and me being too um uptight and therefore too much like a woman um and then it goes ahead and reinforces the whole patriarchal thing in saying something about it I have to choose if i'm willing to ruin the thing everybody in the room is really enjoying just so that i can fully show up there and of course this isn't news but at the same time we there's this there was this article going around facebook about karen the term of karen and it was basically saying don't say these things it hurts white people's feelings and and you're not going to get your message across if you're talking like this and the karen one went into really explicit detail about what it was like to be a woman in the civil rights movement in the 60s and 70s and it it describes one woman you know saying i want to do more than type and the answer being like well you could give blow jobs only it's a lot crasser that to call women karen is to like to ignore that history in the civil rights movement of 
not letting women fully show up. Whoa, you, um, you lost me. Who's saying that? Okay. Black women are saying that? No, no. This white is women all, are saying all white women. I'm sure it's okay. like 99% white women. And I, I don't agree with it. Like, so I, I, like, I don't agree with this. I'm, I'm describing it because what hit me while I was reading that, and I was thinking of this like sort of policing of, of you know, the language we use in activism and saying, you know, don't say mean things to white people because you really need them to back you up to get this change made, basically is what that's saying. And I frequently feel my own slowness <laughs> in learning about racism as we have these conversations because I suddenly could see the parallels and what that would be like to be to, in trying to fight racism and the language and the stories we tell. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I'm trying to say... Okay. I think the difference this time from civil rights before and all the other struggles, whether it was women's rights, civil rights, whatever, yeah. like in this this time maybe they all realize that it's all we're all being oppressed just on different levels that that there are only a few people top one percent that are or maybe in the top 10 percent or maybe in the top 20 percent who are basically running things and in the past there was always this fantasy and let's be honest some people still have this fantasy that because they are white that they could eventually get to that one percent or that 20% or yeah. the women, the women that are the, the women could at least daughters. marry that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The daughters and the, the daughters and the wives of women, uh, I mean, of, of men with that socioeconomic status, maybe they benefit the, the ideas that they would benefit from being part of a family like that. And my God, if you're a poor white woman, but you may have an attractive daughter or you're attractive yourself, there's that opportunity to maybe uh -huh. inch up and finally be at that place. But I think that's all a fallacy. That's all a fallacy okay. that- Right, that yeah, I don't think it's real. It's not real. And we're all mm -hmm. being treated. You know, I mean, we're seeing what's happening in Portland. We're seeing what's happening all over the country. It's not just black people that are getting, <laughs> hey, it's, it's, even, it's even the press and they've got a live camera on them, white press that, that have a live yeah. camera on them, and they're being shot. Yeah. I mean, you under the pe white oh, people yeah. are being put in cars. Amy, I think this is different. What I've been like really sitting with is I've been trying to figure out like what bothers me or doesn't bother me, because the Karen thing has never bothered me. I found it sort of funny and useful. <laughs> And, and I still can feel that, but women matter, sexism matters, like this thing coming up in me. And I think where I've landed is that it comes back down to this idea of scarcity and of competition and that we're going to accept that these people hold the power and for us to have any quality of life, we have to be near that and accepted and loved by that power. And so anything that might hurt my feelings in some way is going to get in my way. No, go back to what we said. Anything might hurt I, that power, even feeling. Say that again. For me, at least, part of being close to power or being powerful is being right. 
I don't want to be proven wrong. And if I, if someone calls me a Karen, then that means that I'm wrong. Right. Because no one wants to be racist. Like we all agree that you don't want to be racist, even if you don't believe in systemic racism, you can write these long Facebook posts that start with, I'm not racist. But for me, like the part of, part of my desire to be in the powerful group is to be right and to do it the right way and to have my voice heard. And what was happening in some of this conversation around Karen was a little bit like, this is all from me, like trying to watch my own stuff. So I'm, I don't want to imply that like, I am never bothered and don't have to do my own work on this. I do. But like kids at a birthday party, you know, like when the, the younger they are, they go to the birthday party and it's really hard to open presents because you want those presents. Even though you know it's not your birthday, you still want, want those. And as you get a little bit more mature, you could just be happy for the person who got the roller skates because those are pretty cool and that person deserves something cool. You're making me sad because I didn't go to very many birthday parties. oh my god i know what you're saying though i can see how it goes together i can see how like when i see that one of the things that has been just like a punch in the gut is also that in our last episode you told that story about being attacked while playing basketball and i was like oh you've told that before only you told it watered down and i went back and listened and it wasn't that watered down it's that i didn't let myself hear it all the way like i did the last time well maybe it was hard to visualize it was hard it, to, it, it's hard to let that stuff in i'm able to tell certain things about my life without sometimes without going in deep into it i'm not visualizing it becomes like a thing like hey yeah this is just the part of my journey yeah, this happened to me, like no big, you know, like no big deal. But then you kind of have those PTSD moments when uh, you have these recalls, you know what I mean? And so it affected me. I think maybe it affected me differently. Maybe it was how I told the story last time. I, I think what it was, was the first time I heard it, I heard it as an incident of isolated cruelty, like of kids being jerks racist jerks right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i i didn't hear it as a white person participating in systemic oppression and when you said it the last time i was listening to it in the context of the attack that had happened here on on vox and i saw it as a part of who we are and as a part of what we do. And that was much, much harder to see. Does that make sense? Yeah, it did. It did. I think part of it is about integration. And I think when you have that integration, then you're able to see things more clearly. And, and that's what I'm getting at with the Bob Schneider concert and with him saying the thing about, I used to date a lot of whores. It's possible. I don't know this. But it's possible there might have been a time that I've been like, oh, he's so edgy. I don't think so. But I would have been more willing to make excuses for him because I would have seen it as an isolated thing, like just a thing someone did one time, rather than when he says that, 
It's like AOC's speech this week. Oh my God. What a right? gosh. I would love it. I, I wish I could vote for her right now. Yeah. It, it, that put tear. I mean, she, damn, damn. Right. I mean, yeah. the way she put him where she, she, she served us all on notice. Yeah. It's not that I'm sad about this one guy talking about, you know, like slut shaming anyone he dated that didn't give him what he wanted because he's some entitled dude, but a whole pattern yeah. and someone that I really enjoy and admire unthinkingly participating in it and not caring of the impact it has on his daughter and my daughter. When we talk about white men, we're not talking about Kevin. <laughs> we're not talking about, we're, we're talking about, we're talking about society in general, who runs society. Because here's the thing, the pattern that we see, the sexism, the racism, the isms that we see, we all mimic it. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Like it's yeah. a system. It's a when we talk about the white man or the or the man, it is a system that is just systematically put into place to keep everybody else down. Yes. And it's it's, it's yes. a way to and, and we see it in we see it, we see the same pattern in churches. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. We see it within African-American communities. I call it uh, I call it plantation politics. And I thought we just did it, but it's really just the same pattern, you know, where you have a head, what they call HNIC, which I, I don't want to necessarily. Have you ever heard of this term HNIC mm -hmm. head? Yep. Black person in charge. And then and you'll see it. You'll see new people coming to town who want to know where they're going to fit in, in that hierarchy. Where do they, where we know this guy is tops and we know these people are his friends, but where do I fit in? And that's what, when Maureen Walker is talking about how we stratify and that people want to be closer to the power and that that's. The center. Yep. And it's a pattern that we have adopted from white society. Yeah, we it's don't the same, that. but women do the women will do the same thing in absolutely. their own group. In their well, absolutely. Own and and the, the other thing is like thinking of how women throughout history, and I will add as a strategy of survival, have weaponized their own tears in, in an effort to be close to the power. Hmm. Um, what what was clear to me when I started like letting this sink in is that I could suddenly see how in my struggle to like simultaneously break away from this shitty power structure that I don't like and that is toxic and killing all of us that I still am afraid of not having power over of not being able to flex some and in doing so, I bat down other groups instead of saying, we are all hurt by this. Tell me how I can lift you up. Tell me how I can support you. So, so let me ask you something. What, what, ha what changed? You have the ability to have been a Karen. Yeah. In the sense that you, 
you were in a you were in the system like you the system was working for you if if you had a stayed within the lines <laughs> colored within the lines amy you understand yes. what i'm saying you yes, had your I understand holly, what you're saying you know you, you had your holly hobby glasses on and uh, you, you you know what i'm saying right you yes. you had the ability right to yes. stay within those lines and but even from an early age you kind of you 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 from ever since I've known you, you rebelled against that a little bit. And even your mom is not yeah. like, even your mom is. I'll say something. Okay. I was telling my friend the other day okay. that as far as like life goals go, I hope that when I'm my mom's age, I am still working as hard to learn new things and to like see the world differently as she is. I think that's what I meant. Your mom. I think is that's what you're trying to get at. Yeah. Different person than she was back then, and she was always nice. That's not what yeah. I'm saying, but she was in that power structure that really worked for her, and it's like she just decided to wipe the slate clean at one point in time and <laughs> say, "I want to be who I want to be." You know, and she continually does that at her age. But you were, what I'm saying is, it's almost like she looked at, she saw you doing it in your teens, <laughs> right? And, and you probably fought her tooth and nails for God knows long, how long. But for some reason, it just, you, what, what was it that made you rebel against a system that could have worked for you? think it's not a super healthy <laughs> <laughs> I think part of it is a fear that I would ultimately be rejected anyway you know that if I tried really hard and didn't do it then I would have tried hard and still not succeeded but if I deliberately didn't try and didn't get it well it's because I didn't try you were like a 1980s Laura Wilder Ingalls <laughs> <laughs> we were playing a game where you had to like describe yourself in sixth grade using a phrase and I think I put something like half pint meets grunge or something half like pint that. Meets, that would that's exactly like I said an 80s version of half pint yep you know um, <laughs> yeah you know I remember the people that that were themselves at an early age. And you actually helped me at a young, because I'm, I'm a couple of years younger than you, but seeing you be yourself and a few other people be themselves allowed me to say, you know what, I need to, I would love to be at that place at one point in time. You know? And somehow, we managed, like, I, I feel like we were in a group of people that really encouraged that. Like, I think of the little crowd that I thought of as my BFFs in senior year and that they were all so accepting and not, not just accepting, but I can think of, of, of like, and, and like rejecting of the idea that we should try to be different, that, that we should try to be something other than who we are. Mm -hmm. I remember that year, like with that group of people, I would say that was all dancing at my house after the prom. 
<laughs> yeah. But that that they were people who weren't afraid. Some of them did have some things that they yeah they they were out, but let's, but, yeah. but that celebrated being a little bit different and we, we were marching band geeks. Let's be honest. <laughs> being nerds was yeah, celebrated, and that was that was a little different because marching band. It, it was all over it. As far as our parents' income, we were all over the place. Yeah, that's you definitely. Know, it, that, so it was a little, it was, it was a little different. Kevin asked me, <laughs> when did that be like myself moment happen for you, Don? Okay. I had a cultural awakening. It wasn't a cultural awakening. It was more like a, a cultural breakdown. I was so square this was the coolest school ever like if you ever wanted to see cool black kids this was it they were they not only were cool but some of them were very wealthy they were from all different kinds of places and here i was from bloomington indiana with my southern indiana accent and your james and, taylor cds and my james taylor cds and, <laughs> and uh, in the nylons. I mean, I, I was, uh, I mean, I could tell you the, because CDs were so expensive. I could tell you the 12 CDs I had. You know, I had Sting and I had George Michaels and I had, uh, yeah, they were not the cool, you know, Chicago. I mean, yeah. I had George Michael in Chicago both. I hear yeah. you. I hear you. But what, what was really cool, I tell you what, what was really cool is that you had, and I think I've told this story before. I, you had guys from Texas playing their country music. You had the hippies, like hippies and, you know, flower children who didn't know what deodorant was. I, that's the first time I ever discovered crystals. Um, you, you, you had the skateboarders and the surfers from California. You had uh, members of the Hampton University Yacht Club. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, you, you, it was just the, there was no real way of, of having to be black. Before I thought I got made fun of for not, well, you know, for not being able to dance, right? Yeah. And white people were like, I, you can't dance, you can't play basketball. Like, who are you? Yeah. But I'd get the same thing from, kids here, African-American kids saying you can't do these things and you're not, you, you know, like you don't fit in. I said, I didn't really fit in anywhere until I got there. But I still tried to be someone that I thought other people wanted me to be. The moment that, the, the, the big moment where I realized like self, where I decided to be myself and it's always the opposite sex that does it for you right i was taking a speech class and there was a girl that i really liked in this speech class but everybody liked this girl she had a whole crew they were all you know pretty girls and she used to like she loved my speeches because i'm hilarious i guess you are hilarious i am hilarious so she loved my speeches and she'd tell me that like you were so funny blah 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 blah. i was like okay okay i didn't really make anything of it i went to this club with friends i had a friend who worked security for uh tlc at the time or he had during the summer so he was friends with 
actually, I think he dated one of the girls at one time, but so they had came in TLC, you know, left eye. You, you guys know these people, right? Okay. So anyway, so, so we, I, we go to this, we go to this club uh, and we're sitting at this VIP table because I'm going to get to meet these, whatever, whatever these TLC, you know? So we're sitting at the table. I, I don't know how to dance. My glasses get fogged up because back then, all these clubs, all these clubs you went to had fog machines. <laughs> so you could, you, they had fog machines. So I couldn't, you could, you'd get in there and I couldn't see a thing. So I had learned how to smoke. You know, I just learned how to smoke. I even remember Benson and Hedges. Oh, terrible. But I learned how to smoke so that I could just sit down at a table and act cool. Oh, because if you were smoking, you didn't have to dance. I didn't have to dance, I'm, and I'm sitting at the I'm sitting at the cool kids table. I'm gonna be okay. I'm just gonna be chilling. <laughs> Don't have to talk because I have a country accent that people laugh at every time they hear me. I don't, right, right, and, and I don't have to dance. Can't dance worth shit. Even white kids don't think I can dance. That's how bad it is. Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm thinking, God, that was great. You know, I had a great time. I got to hang out with these folks and TLC. You know, got whatever, right? So then, Friday, Monday comes up. I'm in class. I'm leaving. The girl, this girl, she comes out and she. She, she's like, Skippy, Skippy, because that's my nickname. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I didn't have a speech today, so she just wants, might want to talk. And so she says, hey, uh, uh, were you at Club Merits, uh, on, you know, on Saturday? You know, at, you know, sitting down and blah, blah, blah. I was like. At the cool kid table? Yeah. I was like, yeah, that, that, that was me. And she says, were you smoking? <laughs> I said, what? Uh, I said, were you, she said, were you smoking? I said, yeah. yeah. I said, yeah, but I really don't know. She says, I, look, she says, uh, I really, really liked you. She said, I really, really thought liked you. I thought, I think you have a great personality and blah, 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 blah. And she said, but you know, my dad died of cancer. Oh my God. I always wanted oh. him to stop smoking. She says, I could never, ever. I could never ever stop seeing you smoke and you disappointed me. This is making my stomach hurt a little bit. I was like, I mean, it, it was like one of those TV moments, like after some kind of stupid after school special. Cause I'm like, wait, what do you mean? You know, I'm like, and so is that crazy? And so she just walked away after that. Oh no. She really? She literally, this actually happened to me. And that made me realize like, you know, you, I didn't have to be cool. I no. could have just been my nerdy self and we all have our own target markets. We don't need everyone. <laughs> like we don't, we just need to be ourselves and worry about who likes us. Right. That's all. That's what we need to do. So that's like when I do my little thing, I, my, my quote is be yourself. The world is waiting for the best you. I like that. So, so that's what I try to do now. I try to just be who I am. Everyone has a target market. You don't have to change who you are. 
I'm sorry that story was so damn long. That's okay. That's okay. But I did. I think I managed to get where where I was going. Where what I was thinking, like as we've been talking about this, you know, like the moments that we try to be someone that we're not, or try to be cooler than we are. And I and what I I, I guess the question that I would want to sit with, and that I think is a helpful thing for people to, in general, to try to sit with, is to notice when your need for power or appreciation or whatever gets triggered. And I think that in the case of Bob's bad dating experiences in the 90s, being hurt in relationships triggers your need to be in charge, to be, to have power because it hurts to be not the boss of when the relationship ends. And this I think is a, a white woman problem a lot when you're feeling like your efforts aren't being appreciated enough and you've got like this urge to point out all the hard work you've done or to criticize how activists, particularly people of color, are doing their work and like explain to them how you could help them explain it to other people better. To ask yourself like, what's going on? Am I feeling like insecure about who I am? And so I'm wanting to be more power adjacent. And am I, am I sitting down and having a cigarette? <laughs> Even right. though I don't want one. <laughs> because I think a lot of people don't, like, I definitely don't want to participate in systemic racism, right? Yeah. I don't want to participate in the patriarchy, and I still do. But I'm less likely to do that if I'm paying attention to when I'm about to shift in order to protect myself rather than just let it go and be the, I'm thinking of you now, the hilarious cool kid that you already are. When, when does it, you brought up a, another, like when, when it's working for you, like. When being power adjacent is working for you? Yeah, when you are power yeah. adjacent. What do, you, what do you, and you, you know, yeah, I've struggled. I've struggled as most African-Americans have. However, I have been able to carve out a, a nice little living, it, being able to live in, I've been able to thrive, maybe not as much as if I had not been black, but I've learned how to work the system, even though I know that it needs to change for everyone. How, how can I keep my marbles and still change the game? That's what I'm faced with because I know that it needs to change. I know by the grace of God, I've been able to be in the right places at the right time. Kind of what, that's kind of why I was asking you. Yeah. How were you able to set, you, you were already in a system and you decided to tear that up and, yeah, the conversation we were having the other day suddenly made, like, just all clicked for me. We were talking about, um, I was talking about feeling awkward in places where a certain set of manners <laughs> and behaviors were expected. And now it makes sense. Now I can see what was going on there. Is that I have the privilege, really, to say, I don't want to be like those people and I can still say that and reap the benefits of being like those people. You can code switch anytime you want. Yeah. 
if you want to. And in a sense, there are some things that I can do to try to fit in better. Like I, like at a very early age, me and my wife, probably at the, the age of 10 through 12 years old, were taking etiquette classes. Right. You, you know what I'm saying? But not so as that, a married couple. Not as, not as a married couple. <laughs> but I'm saying I remember her in that, you know. Like we uh-huh. would, it was a, it was a big thing, you know. I'm, you know what I'm saying, or yeah. learn how to dress the, a certain way, and you know, even though I dress in a t-shirt most times, I I know what a custom suit feels like and what I need to look for. These are things I've had to know to live in this system, to work within this system. Yeah. But I'm still black. At the end of the day, no matter what, I'm just a black dude in a two thousand dollar suit. Nigga in a $2,000 suit. I hate to say that, but uh, that's how people will look at me. So you asked what you can do. And I think I'm trying to think about that too. And not just me, just what What anyone can do. I said to myself, you know, I don't want to take this heavier stand. Like I believe that what Black Lives Matter is doing is uh, important. And deep in my heart, I know that I should be out there doing some of the same things. But I've told myself, you know, there's got to be some people doing on the other line. There's got to be some people on the inside. There's got to be some people making money to give back, to give money to Black Lives Matter and the NAACP and whomever. Maybe that's just my excuse so that I could continue to buy little cars. (laughs) <laughs> live down heights or you know i don't know i i have to wrestle with this but i also have to here's the thing i also have to create general some generational wealth for i mean that's what really drives me creating generational wealth for my son and my great grandkids trying to get that wealth create that generational wealth that an opportunity that that I didn't have yeah, and that so many African-Americans do not have. So there's this balance. There's this, and I don't, I definitely don't have it right. When you were, when you were, you know, saying, you know, what, what can I do? And, and, and describing like this thought process that you're going through, I was thinking about relational cultural theory and uh, like my first time going to a training on it. And I loved all the theory and stuff, but I couldn't figure out like, but what do I do with it? Like, just because I'm thinking about this stuff, like what, what does it matter? And, and I watched this video of um, Judith Jordan doing a therapy session. So much of the work is speaking it, is naming it, is shining light on it. And, and that's what, that's what you're doing here. Like when you're willing to be vulnerable and have these conversations and try to explore these things, even when you don't know the answer, that is actually a thing. I'm not saying, you know, don't also follow your heart to do other things, but I'm saying that this, like when you're stuck and you don't know what to do, name the stuckness, name what is happening instead of like getting hyper intellectual and writing essays about the Karen stuff which would be my defense too just for the record like yeah just name the stuck feeling 
Time to start clearing. I'm so glad that we get to do this together. Time too. <laughs> we got there. We got there. Kevin, I'm sure there's something in there that we could use. <laughs> This episode of My Racist Friend is a production of the Bloomington Center for Connection, an organization using relational cultural theory to promote social change through connection. This conversation between Don Griffin Jr. and Amy McKees, LCSW, took place at separate locations in Indiana on Thursday, July 30th, 2020, and was edited for this podcast by Kevin McKees. Theme music lovingly sampled from Your Racist Friend by They Might Be Giants. Follow the Bloomington Center for Connection on Facebook and other social media platforms. You and your racist friend. You got your standard, and then you got your Phillips screwdriver, and then you got your COVID screwdriver. What, what's the top of the screw look like? <laughs> There's probably no, no slots at all. <laughs> <laughs>